once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach starring Jake and Jeff McClure. And hopefully that will be the only time you hear uh, 1940s radio announcer voices this episode, Why? but you, it might come back. 1940s, it was, went into the 50s. Okay. It did. Uh-huh. I, I, I take your word for it. You, I remember. You were there. Yeah. I was there. Um, so... Uh, I I misdecated it. Maybe I should have said the 1920s through the night or 1950s radio voice. Would that have been better? I mean, I the radio okay. voice of the 1980s and 90s had more in, in line with Sunday, 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 rather than who was that masked player? Well, now I have broken my own disclosure. I said we were going to try to avoid radio announcer voices. See what I just did there? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Sunday, so, Sunday, Sunday. Right. Uh, monster trucks, stuff like that. They're right. going to be involved in that advertisement. This is the personal wealth coach, and we will be talking about more than monster trucks. I, we will? I assure you, but not in a promissory way. Right. Okay. Right. Well, this is the personal wealth coach, as you said, and the personal wealth coach is not only the name of a potentially sleepy radio program, it is also our podcast, as the case may be. And it is also the name of a registered investment advisory firm based in Salado, Texas, that is registered with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, which neither implies, which implies in no way that they approve of our, well, they approve of our existence, but that's about as far as it goes. I'm not sure that they actually approve of our existence, but they acknowledge our existence. They authorize us to exist. They, they, they didn't unauthorize us. Right. There, that's that's that is the extent. It's, if you've ever had a father figure relationship like that, that would make sense. I don't. I actually get acknowledged pretty regularly because the other guy that's talking on here is my father. Huh? Yeah. See, well, that wasn't any acknowledgement. Now I. Oh yes, I am your father. Now. Right. Yeah. Yes, okay. Yes. yes. I've been well, I slept last night. I've slept since. <laughs> so uh, next disclosure is that. Um, let's, so so we're registered with the SEC to give. Investment advice. Investment advice is fiduciary, and we can't do that on the air because we don't know all of you, and it's not private if we did. So this is an educational radio program. We're going to hopefully give you something that you didn't know before. That's uh, sometimes a high bar and sometimes not. It uh, depends on how well you know finance. So we'll do our best. Uh, so this is an educational program. We're not going to give investment advice. So you won't hear us talking about whether or not you should buy an individual security of some kind. Because as I've told many, many people, uh, a, an excavator, a backhoe, is maybe the best investment ever for the right person. And maybe the worst investment ever for almost everybody else. So that's, that's, my, that, that's all I have to say about that. I, uh, uh, next disclosure, please. We do not pay for this radio program, uh, nor are we paid by KTEM to do the radio program. And if you're listening to a podcast, that's an irrelevancy. Uh, we do advertise on KTEM for the radio program, but then KTEM also advertises on KTEM for the radio program. You know, there's a lot of like dried up C's out there that are no longer C's. Those are ir irrelevancies too. I just wanted you to know that. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. 
Okay. I'm you already so. starting the bad puns. We're, we're on a roll. Irrelevant C's. Yeah. Yeah. I could argue that with you, but we need to get the disclosures out. Yes. Um, you want to say this, this is last an, it, one. You, I, yeah, if this, I, we did it in kind of a different order than usual, but if I do the next one, you're going to be frustrated for the rest of the day that you didn't get to no, say no, it. No, no, Yes, yes. So, so go ahead. This is, as, as Jake said, this is an educational radio program and not investment advice. And on this educational radio program, we have obtained information that we're going to talk about. The information that we present has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable. However, we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. By the way, nobody requires us to give that disclosure except him. He really likes saying it. Um, there's, there's not a legal, the SEC doesn't tell us that we have to tell you that, that we deem the information to be valid because they would assume that we would deem that so. <laughs> but he likes to not give warranties or guarantees about well deem yes and he likes to deem so get your deem, deem. go go for it uh well i like to get my per diem well we have a couple of questions from inquisitor john our most most faithful and loyal of questioners uh inquisitor john thank you very much once more as is tradition he's got a couple of questions that are highlighted with a digital picture of the paper Wall Street Journal emailed to us so that we could compare it to the digital version of the Wall Street Journal. And I have to admit to some great deal of nostalgia uh, every time I see one of these pictures, but I'm also not missing the stacks and stacks of newspapers that used to pile up. So um, his first question is, uh, the email is labeled lack of knowledge of inflation. Um, there is a article called Inflation Worries Powell More Than Recession. And he says, I appreciate his honesty, but when the Fed admits it knows little about inflation, how can they expect the market to improve when they're, th when they're throwing darts? Okay, so the part that's circled here is Mr. Powell responded, we now understand better how little we understand about inflation. Um, I think you're correct. He probably shouldn't the Fed should always say that we know everything because confidence is part of inflation. Um, and he kind of said, well, we now know how little we know about inflation. And the reality is that is a true statement. I have seen a headline this morning while perusing, I'm try to remember what it was. Um, something prices up due to supply chain and inflation. Uh, and that's, that's the headline. It's the something, whatever it was. I don't know what it was. The price is up due to supply chain issues and inflation. Okay. Price is up means inflation. Supply chain issue causing prices to go up means inflation. And inflation is inflation. So that's like saying inflation is up because of inflation. That's how we think about inflation. We're gonna, anytime prices go up, we call it inflation. Let me explain one time for, Inflation is not the cause of a price to go up. If you sell a car, we'll go way back here, that doesn't have power windows for $5,000, and you sell a car with power windows, same car except with power windows, for $5,400, that's not inflation. You added a value that people are willing to pay for. If you're selling the same car later at a higher price, that's inflation. Even if it's a collectible car that's, that suddenly someone discovers was 
uh, very popular in the 1980s and everybody wants to buy it. That's still inflation. That increase in demand is inflation, but only when it's averaged across everything else at the same time. So if your baseball card goes up in value, that's not inflation. Though it looks like inflation, because inflation is like this average of everything, not baseball cards. You can say baseball cards values went up because of inflation, but really baseball card value going up on average with everything else is inflation, not because it's, it's chicken and egg thing. And you can follow this around. So how well do we understand that? Um, there's a lot of reasons why prices can go up. Lots of reasons. And no one is going to be able to completely catalog all of those reasons. That means that we don't understand all the causes of inflation. Now, the tools that the Fed have to deal with inflation are these massive sledgehammer tools. And we're looking at ants on the ground saying, there's another reason for inflation. There's another. And the sledgehammer hits. It doesn't matter. All the bugs get squished. When they raise interest rates and they stop buying mortgage-backed securities, then they are affecting inflation. It doesn't matter if it comes from the ant or the cockroach. It doesn't matter if it's because the player's card went up or because somebody wants to buy a house. It's, it's all being hit by the same hammer. You have something to add here. If I could give some perspective on John's question. The fact that the chairman of the Federal Reserve admitted this shows how much we don't know about inflation is not new. He said that on many times and many occasions. It's like the coronavirus pandemic we just had, COVID, COVID-19. I'm, glad, I'm a, glad that you told us specifically which pandemic we're talking about here. It's very important okay, to but, know this. But <laughs> I, I, a medical researcher, a virologist said, was quoted as saying, it just shows just how much we don't know about infectious disease. And that doesn't mean that we didn't develop a vaccine in record time and that it was far more effective than any vaccine that we've ever come up with before in history, developed much faster and a much more innovative fashion. We have improved tremendously in our knowledge of medicine and in, in pandemics and viruses, and we're making great strides forward. But any serious researcher, any physician that will be honest with you will tell you the, the things that we don't know about medical science are enormously greater than what we do know. And every time we find out I do know, we discover probably 10 don't knows. And the same thing is true about economics and specifically about inflation. Uh, Milton Freeman pretty well thought he had it all figured out. It's about money. It, it, it always is the same thing. It's always, but it's not. Uh, he said it always everywhere it is about money supply. Well, it's not always and everywhere about money supply because the money supply can remain constant and if we get a shortage, a sudden shortage of a critical item like oil and that affects or gasoline, enough, enough of the economy is affected by that, then you can get inflation in a big hurry without increasing the money supply. We had a lot of simplistic answers to very complex questions in the past. Now, and, and let me and, let me throw something else in there that just just real quick, we could have just as evil, easily had deflation for the same input. Yes. If oil prices go up and it causes everything to get more expensive so people stop buying because they, they're not sitting on a lot of money. They just say, oh, I can't buy that. I have to buy something else. That can cause prices to drop 
very quickly after they rise to way below what they were before, and that causes a deflationary spiral. So having a constant money supply is important during that time period. If you don't have it, you cause deflation. If you do have it, you cause inflation. Okay, and there's a very important, another, another, if you will, factor here about inflation. A lot of people who have spoken with me and asked me about it and who I've talked with about inflation are blaming it on the stimulus packages. Now, they always blame it on the third stimulus package if they're a Republican. And, but, and, and uh, if they're Democrats, they br- blame it on the first two. And no, he- Demo- I have heard this from Democrats. So don't, don't okay. there, there are fiscally conservative Democrats and they blame yes, Trump. Yes, yes. And there are fiscally conservative Republicans and, they, and that's not the majority of the Republicans anymore, by the way. And they and, blame Biden. And Moody's did a very careful analysis of the various factors that are generating inflation currently. And 0.1% inflation is probably a result of the stimulus. The rest of it is totally different things. It has to do, it's primarily caused by Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the, what it did to the price of food, what it did to the price of fuel, what it did to the price of a lot of other oils and things like that that come out of Ukraine that we can't get and the stuff that's not coming out of Russia that we can't get. So it, it is, the, 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 the simple answer to this is we now understand, and certainly Chairman Powell understands, Inflation is far more complex and far more difficult to predict than economists thought 50 years ago or 40 years ago or 30 years ago. And it, it is a, it's a very complex subject and simple answers do not give good answers to this subject. Yeah. Um, the, what the last part of that question was, how can they expect the market to improve when they're throwing darts? And the answer to that is the estimates on what inflation will be are getting better because we're learning more information. But the information that we're learning is showing that we know a lot less than we thought or we're learning that we know a lot less than we did. And in that process, we still have this big hammer. So it's not throwing darts. It's more like the collection of data is showing us, hey, there's a lot more that we could gather up here to make better predictions. But the hammer is still what's being used. Raising interest rates at the short-term level and not buying the taper, not buying mortgage-backed securities, and now actively selling their mortgage-backed securities is removing money from the mortgage market as well, which is causing those interest rates to go up. So both ends, on the short-term and the long end, you see interest rates going up from the Federal Reserve action. It means that you don't buy the extra playing card that was going up. And you have something here? In that same interview, and several times in the past, he said his pur- the purpose in raising interest rates and in pulling money out of the economy is to reduce consumption pressure until supply can catch up. Right. And in, the, now, in academia, is, there is a term for that. It's call- called demand destruction. And that's what he's doing. If you've been waiting to buy a house or you're building a house right now and you haven't locked in your interest rate, your demand is falling rather quickly. We can see this in the numbers. The monthly price is causing you to go, whoa, whoa, what am I doing here? That's destroying your demand. Now, what he didn't say, what he didn't say, and and you have to have been around a long time or else do a lot of research to find out what Paul Volcker was saying at the same time. The last time we had inflation this high, and Paul Volcker was stating at this point that he he consciously desired 
to create a recession, a severe recession. He used that term demand destruction. Uh, in, in what, and I, and I know you said demand destruction. I understand that. What, what Chairman Powell is trying to say is he just simply wants to tone down demand, not right. destroy it. Not all of and it. Right. He's destroying some of it. We're already headed there. Uh, this recent June's inflation reading came in sub substantially below May's inflation reading, rating. Um, as a matter of fact, if you take the core PCE, which is the one the Fed follows pretty carefully, it's at 4.7%. And the European Union reported its inflation for June as well, 8.6%. Does that sound familiar? Yep. Sounds like they, us. They did not have stimulus packages in the European Union, and they have 8.6% inflation. In the United States, we had stimulus packages. We have 8.6% one-year trailing inflation. Great Britain, where they did not have, uh, the United Kingdom, where they did not have stimulus packages, is at 9.1% and expecting to go to 11, um, which tells you that the stimulus packages passed by Congress, the three stimulus packages, apparently had no effect on inflation. Now, this is the interesting, most interesting point. United Kingdom is teetering on, and the, and the European Union are teetering on the edge of a severe recession. And they acknowledge that, and they're starting to look at lowering interest rates, which will perpetuate inflation, which is going to be really exciting over there. Uh, and the euro has fallen close to parity with the dollar from about $1.40 per euro down to about almost a dollar for the euro. The United States currency is rising, which is not indication that we are suffering too badly. Um, as a matter of fact, we're going to come out of this smelling like a rose. We have another question from Inquisitor John here. Um, and this one is much more technical. If inflation wasn't technical enough, his email says in the subject, what was the old gauge that was used? And then there's a circled uh, piece of an article about a new index that's being used by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Uh, called the Corporate Bond Market Distress Indexed, Index, or CMDI. It's new. It's a new gauge. Um, and what is it? Uh, I, I think your, your question is, what was the old gauge that was used here? This, this new index, that the, man, this is real nerd stuff for, for those of you who aren't in finance. If those of you that like finance, this is, this is like the meat of what we love. A new index measuring something that was not being measured before in one place exists now. What is it? Um, when you're looking at the bond market, just the bond market, there's no place to go to look at it. The stock market, I think most people know you can go to Wall Street somewhere and there's exchanges. Or in London, there's an exchange. The bond market doesn't have a massive centralized exchange. It's much more a banking type market for loans than what we consider like the investment market of the stock market. It's like when a bank is trying to sell a mortgage, they go to their normal people that buy the mortgage from them. And if there's some other people that have come by and made some offers recently, they'll go to them. They don't go to a massive exchange somewhere and say, who's going to offer me the best price for this? Because the bond market, it's too big. And if you and give a really, really simple example, um, 
this is not in any way a recommendation about any individual company, by the way. I'm going to use a company that we all know, though, Ford. Ford has a couple of share classes that give different types of voting rights and different concepts on the ownership of Ford. They've got a convertible thing where they've got some bonds that they can convert to, to stock under certain circumstances. And you might think, well, that's kind of complicated, these different share classes, but there's only a few of them. It's kind of complicated that some bonds can get converted to stocks, but there's just a few of those. Then you have the bond issues. Anytime Ford went to get debt, they get a new loan and they might have 15 of those in one year where they want, went and got a loan. And, and each of those loans has a different contract. When it's due, what the interest rate is on it, what's due at the end of it. Are you going to pay it all back or is it paid interest in principle at the same time? And all of that means that if you go to, to market and you say, I'm going to buy a Ford stock, it's fairly easy to find a Ford stock to buy. It's fairly easy to say, this is what I'm trying to buy. If you say, I want to buy a Ford bond, well, what maturity date, what interest rate, and is it available? Because some of those bonds aren't available for purchase. Even though they're still out there, the people that own them aren't ready to sell them. So each issue has a smaller group of people that owns it. Ford stock is owned by all of the shareholders. Any individual type of bond is only owned by the people that loaned that initial money or bought it from somebody who did. So the secondary market in bonds is difficult. The primary market of bonds, when they're first getting the loan that, that is the bond, what was it issued at? Well, this index is the, coming from the Federal Reserve. It's really the only place that has access to all the data that we're talking about. They're looking at the spread. That's the difference in interest rates between different types of bonds, different types of loans. If you're thinking about your own life, it would be like the difference in interest rate between your mortgage and your credit card. There's, it's probably not the same interest rate. If you have a 4% mortgage, your credit card is probably not a 4% credit card. It might be 0% for a period of time, but then it goes to a much higher number. So what's the difference in the spread between, uh, what is the spread? The, the spread is the difference between that 4% mortgage and whatever else that is. You could compare that and say, over a long period of time, interest rates and in credit cards tend to have this amount of spread or this amount of percentage. And we can look at that, and if you see those getting really out of whack, something's weird in the economy. But the only way to measure that up till now is to go out and get all the individual measurements, get all those spreads, put it all together to look at uh, a lot of the quality differences between one type of bond and another. Anyway, so this new index, they're updating it monthly. This isn't the daily index update. It's a monthly thing because they have a lot of data that they're going. And you have something you want to add. So go ahead. Well, to answer John's question, it didn't replace anything. Right. It's new. There was a, there's a lot of different indices that can indicate the distress or distress or stress the bond market is under, there wasn't a single index that would cover it very nicely. And and the the CMDI has actually been around for probably a decade. It it is newly published by the Federal Reserve because it's been around long enough now that people can take a look at it 
and say, yes, it did, it did accurately reflect the stress in the bond market. Uh, for instance, during the 2007 through 2009 extreme bond market stress scenario we went through, we literally did not have any single indicator. We've got an indicator for stocks, got a volatility indicator for stocks, the VIX. We've got a lot of things that we can measure stock stress with, but we don't have anything that we can use to measure bond stress. We just have to, previously, the Federal Reserve and other people had to look at lots of different indices and make a guesstimate as to what that all meant. Now they've got one that seems to be fairly accurate in predicting stress in the in the bond market or reporting stress in the bond market. And so that's what the CMDI is. And it's kind of telling us something interesting right now. It's saying that the investment grade, not junk, not icky stuff bonds are under distress right now. Uh, and they're under the same distress if you were to overlay that with the VIX for the stock market. People are, are selling bonds for corporate America at about the same rate that they're selling stocks for corporate America. Um, the unusual part of this is that the high yield market is not being affected as much right now, which is reverse. It's reversed because people are jumping into the high yield market saying, hey, the interest rates are already high there. That's scary. <laughs> it's really, really scary. Yeah. It's it's particularly interesting in the fact that, as you mentioned, the investment-grade bond market is under far more stress than the high-yield bond market, which is just reversed from what's normal. And I think there's, I can understand the reason for that. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the investment-grade bond market has been issuing a lot of debt at extremely low interest rates over the last several years. And with interest rates going up, the value of that the long-term debt, the 30-year bonds that were issued by Apple, for example, nobody thinks Apple's going under, but all of a sudden, the, the 2%, 1 point something percent and 2% bonds issued by Apple, if you held them, all of a sudden, they're not worth very much because people can get AAA rated 4% today. And that, if you have a really long-term bond, that conceivably cuts the value of your bond in half uh, if you try to sell it on the open market, which is a high-stress situation. So it, it is, it's sort of an interesting uh, scenario. We saw this happen, by the way, according to the CMDI, back in 2018 as well. And nothing too terribly bad came of it. It happened in 2018. It happened in 2019. Uh, I, I, I'm not too concerned about yeah, it. Yeah, it tends to happen when there's a, a, a big shift in demand or interest rates. And if you look back there at those time periods, the Federal Reserve was raising interest rates. Um, when interest rates get raised, they have a bigger impact on things with the lowest interest rate, which is the highest quality debt. But it means that the principal is affected more and people go, oh, I need to get out of this. High yield is going to have a comeuppance on interest rates like this. One of the factors here is in order to really understand this new index, we don't have 50 years of data. We have 10 years of data. And we would have well, to look back 50 years to see the last time we were at this point in the interest rate cycle. The, the Fed, the New York Fed is publishing data on the CB, the CMDI back to 2005 now because yeah. it was actually been run that long. It just wasn't published at that point. Yeah. And it's really, if you go to the newyorkfed.org research policy uh, and you, know, you look for yeah, corporate bond I've, market I've distress index, it's yeah. pretty cool. It, it's, it is, it's, a, uh, it's a pretty cool graph. It, and it's and fun to look at if you're a nerd like us. Geeks like us, 
geeks like us just sit around and stare at graphs like this and go, wow, did you see that? Look at that peak. Look at the relationship uh, between that peak. Yeah, and this look peak at the over here. Look, look at look at the correlation between this and the anti-correlation over here, and the uh, negative that, correlation up but, there. But that doesn't mean it's causation. Maybe this has a different cause. This is our conversation yes. on a day-to-day basis. So, if you'd like to talk to us off the air, we got another hour coming up. If you'd like to talk to us off the air, air we have a voicemail rating locally at. Two five four nine four seven eleven eleven or one eight hundred nine one four seven five two six. That's eight hundred nine fourteen plan. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. The contact us form is there. You can email us directly at Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. On our webpage, you've got radio programs going back lots of years, newsletters going back lots of years. You can sign up for our newsletter there as well. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back next hour.